Welcome to Frameline. I'm Barbara Gostowski. Here as usual with my favorite co-host, Courtney Small. Hello, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Oh, not too bad, thank you. We're starting this year off. We're starting off 2022 with a very exciting endeavor. We're covering the Sundance Festival. And we've got a lot of films to talk about. There's, there's, you know, as you guys know from reading, you know, about past festivals, there's, there's a lot of um, activity. There's a lot of new talent, a lot of established talent, and it's just a very exciting time. Um, so we, we're really happy to, you know, bring you some of our tapes on what could possibly be some of this year's most exciting work. Right. Yeah, that's that's true. And it's it's interesting because it's a year where the even though it's our first year covering the festival, they had to pivot to online due to Omicron. They had planned a, a hybrid festival. And I don't know about you, but even though it is online only, I I have found the whole process to be rather painless. Like the the, the online yeah. platform, I think, is fantastic. Um, yeah, I, absolutely. I, constantly impressed every time I log in to watch a film and then the Q and A's and it, like how everything is run. It is amazing how they were able to just pivot in, you know, a few days prior to, to opening and still be um, as smooth as it is. And also the films are just, we're, we're seeing a lot of great stuff. So it's, it's a, a wonderful year to, to partake Sundance for the first time. Absolutely. absolutely. And even some of the films that, you know, I didn't find as satisfying as others, they're still fascinating. You know, mm-hmm. and it's fascinating to talk about the structure. So, you know, I'll get into that later when uh, I talk about some of the films I saw. But the, it's always an interesting conversation. And yes. so that's, you know, that's what Courtney and I are going to do today is we're going to have an interesting conversation about these films. And, um, you know, it's, that's a fabulous way to get, to get through a frigid January. <laughs> it's like. Let's have some good chats about some really interesting work. Yes, and and speaking of conversations, I think we should start off with a much talked about docu series that is premiering at Sundance. It's called "We Need to Talk About Cosby," and it's from director W. Kamal Bell, who um, many of you might know as a stand-up comedian, podcaster, but he also hosts the CNN show United Shades of America, um, that great docu series, and he has created this four-part series that's going to air on Showtime, and I believe Crave up here yes. on January 30th. About, yes, so it's coming up. Yeah. Yes, about Bill Cosby and how do we approach Bill Cosby's legacy knowing everything that we know now. And it, it dives into both Cosby's meteoric rise from amateur stand-up comedian to within two years leading man on a hit TV show to the stuff that he did with children's programming, um, culturally what he did for Black people in the entertainment field, and also the sexual assault allegations that marked the, the later years of his career and how do we as a society juggle all that. And it's, it's a fascinating series. Um, it's, you know, it's a lot to take in in the four parts, but I was riveted constantly and there were certain things like I didn't know about like for example Bill Cosby was very influential in getting um, the black stuntmen in Hollywood because up until he did I Spy they were literally taking white stunt performers and painting them black Um, and this was in the 60s (laughs) this wasn't even in the the 40s or this was in the 60s and how he changed the the landscape in, in that regard and also it does such a good job of going through the allegations and showing you year by year how as his career is changing just um, the stories that were coming out about the allegations and just rape culture in general and how our society really needs to change how we approach everything from victim shaming and blaming but also even things like how we look at well were you drinking were you know were drugs and like just how our approaches to narcotics and um there's just so much in this film that i it, it, it all works it's all fascinating it's if anything it's a conversation starter and i and i think that's what we really need because we haven't figured out how we're supposed to talk about celebrities who have been accused of doing horrible things absolutely i mean the, the fact that 
the fact that he even approaches this and the way that he even starts it off with, because your first response is, uh, we need to talk about Crosby. Uh, there's part of you that says yes, and there's part of you that's like, no, 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 we don't want to go there. I don't want to think about it, you know? And and that's how his conversation starts, right? With these reactions of, I, I just don't want to go there. And I think what Bell does so brilliantly, and not just in terms of the way he edits everything, and that's how we get this sense of, like, there's all this information coming at us, right? But the way he, he just structures each episode, and each episode, it's like, there is a narrative trajectory. You start at the beginning of his career and you, you know, you make it to the end by the end of the, the series, but he very, um, very masterfully has pauses in the, in the chronological order of things and, and stops and has the conversation. And that's, that's really the thing that I found so effective for, for my like viewing experience was that you know you don't want to talk about it but hey i grew up with cosby and when he was america's dad he was the dad i wanted so desperately um so you know his structure of like starting off with his his career in a chronological order you're like oh yeah he did do that oh yeah he made that record oh yeah that was really funny and then, you know, so I found myself getting sucked back into the whole Cosby, nice guy, funny guy. Like everybody loves a funny, um, a funny guy who's like a, the persona was non-threatening. He didn't even swear. And then you get sucked into that. And then boom, Bell hits you with the conversations about and with with actual live right there in your face testimony from someone on that and that woman she just starts going through her experience you know detail after detail after detail and you know it, it's it's very triggering mm -hmm. so it's like it's very harrowing at times and then bell comes back and it's not like bell is doing any tricks by going this way and that like he's not doing that at all he's just trying to show you he's trying to reinforce just how difficult this whole thing is going to be to figure out right yep um and and it's just yeah it had a harrowing experience but an absolutely like brilliant take on the whole phenomenon and it's like yeah it's a, it is a conversation starter but it's also a conversation that happens within the space of the series it is like mind-boggling and like yeah, you know, I, I, of course, you know, if I say that there's a certain moment when he, when he gets chronologically to the, the Cosby show, when everybody was like, yeah, he's America's dad, look at his family, look at him as a dad. And then there's a, that moment where there's that performance, you know, they do these performances for the grandparents and one of them, and it was just like, that, that was it. That was it for me. I, it just tore me into pieces because mm -hmm. that was a moment that I went back to. And I remember just how I felt when they did that, you know? Yeah, it, it definitely, you know, makes you rethink a lot of those, those moments. And he, he does a, such a wonderful job of showing you all the various facets that, you ultimately, he leaves it up to you, the viewer, to decide what are you going to do with all this information. And I, and I think that's probably one of the, the great strengths of this film. It takes you through such a, a harrowing career. And at the end, it's like, okay, you know, let's talk about it. Well, how do you feel about it? How do you approach it moving forward? And I, I think it's one of those works that will hopefully incite or instill not only discussion, but but change in our in our thought. I mean, if, if anything, it's a, a a great stepping stone, a great conversation starter. And you know, another film that I think is meant to be a conversation starter, although I'm not sure if it completely works as well as um, when you talk about Cosby, is TikTok Boom. And this is the the latest film from um, Shalini Kanteya. And my apologies if I mispronounce that name, but 
you remember her as the director of the great documentary um, Coded Bias, which looks at um, gender and racial bias within AI and, and tech companies. And her latest one looks at the phenomenon of TikTok and how it rose to become the most downloaded app. It's, it's more widely used amongst the Gen Z um, generation than Facebook. And for all the great things about TikTok and the way that people are able to make money off of it financially, it has also come with some questions about privacy. Is it promoting a certain type of culture online in regards to not only body image, but is it tending to discriminate against people of color, um, those who might be considered obese, um, those with disabilities? Like, There's a lot of things about TikTok that we really don't know. And more and more young people are using it as a, as a communal um, space, a place to, to find your own and the problems with that. And it's, it's an interesting documentary. I, I don't think it works as well as Coded Bias. And I think part of the problem is some of the individuals that are interviewed point out all the horrible things about TikTok. But at the same time, they can't delete the app because they either need it for their own financial means or, you know, a few of them seem to be more upset about them having a video taken down um, from the app than anything else. Like they'll go on other platforms to complain that my video has been taken down, but they're still using the app. And I think one of the most um, hard hitting aspects is when they speak to a lawyer who represents different firms suing TikTok for breach of privacy, various other things. And his own teenage son is like, yeah, they, they probably steal my data. So what? No big, that's just the way how life is. And like that kind of resign that, you know, you're, we have a whole generation of young people just giving stuff away to big corporations and not really caring. And that's, I don't know, it's a tough sell for me on, on this one. Yes, yes, but don't you think, but, but, but don't you think that that is exactly what makes this documentary so interesting is that it shows you that. It shows you that that, that is an effect that the, that the app is having on people and young people. It's collecting, it's collecting information. They tell you, they're like, I mentioned this and suddenly it appears, you know, in, in my, in my TikTok, you know, take a look at this uh, folder, my, my for you folder. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so the fact that they're, they know some, some individuals know the problems and yet they cannot, they in their head, they have this attachment because that attachment, you know, okay, it's their livelihood and they, they don't know how else to look at the world except that way. You know, uh, this is what I do. This, I'm a creator of content on TikTok. I do this on TikTok. That's my identity, right? And so, and the thing is, the scary thing is that it got such a strong hold on these young people and they're young. Like it, it shows you how young some of these people are, and it, 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 the doc is questioning what uh, what effect is that having on someone who is still in the process of learning about themselves and developing as an individual, right? Because as you and I know, as like older people in society, it takes a long time to get to know who you are, um, and here is this like mega corporate corporate thing that is like interfering in ways right Mm -hmm. that was why i mean that's what i found so effective about the film and so harrowing and fascinating about it i was absolutely like riveted to this one as well as you know as cosby they're they're both like you know um i found them both just very very strong powerful experiences you know yeah well i well i you know i'll be clear, I did enjoy this film. I think the, by the time I got to the end, though, I kept questioning, will this doc evoke change? Like watching Coded Bias, I felt, oh, if any, people who see this are going to be like, oh, man, this is, we really need to question the systems. But 
in this particular case, the people who you really need to to force a change are already like stuck within the system. You know, you, yeah. you, you essentially you almost need like another app to come out that will take away the Gen Z's attention for them to realize, oh, this thing that I'm kind of addicted to. And, and if I'm an influencer making a lot of money off of is also very damaging. Like there's there's one woman they interview young one young woman who talks about how when she shows more skin it gets way more likes and even though she's an activist and doing a bunch of things there's also the downside that she gets more likes but then she also gets more hateful comments comments about her body comments about her her race um one of the fascinating things i found was like a lot of the people that the film talks to especially who are creators are creators of color um, like, so it does run the gamut. You see creators of all types um, discussing, but it's that kind of, I have to trade off in order to make a livelihood. I have to now endure with all this hate speech um, that I wouldn't normally have to deal with in any other profession. Right. But there's because of the guy, the lack of guidelines and stuff, this stuff is just kind of par for the course. And it's, you could see the wheels are turning and I'm thinking it's, this is going to have reverberations on her for generations. Like, you know, it's not only going to impact her, but any future relationships, if she has any children, you know, cause all those things get ingrained in you. And I don't know if the film, and obviously it doesn't have probably enough time in its scope to really dive into the lasting effects. Like, I think it raises a lot of interesting, fascinating points. I just feel kind of like the Netflix documentary social dilemma where they had people who were working at Facebook and all these other apps kind of blowing the whistle. And it's like, but you've blown the whistle too late in that case. And in this one, it's like, okay, they're sounding the alarm, but I don't think anyone's listening. I think, you know, someone just kind of hears this annoyance in the background, but so it's a, it's an interesting work. Yeah, I just, it, it will be, it will be interesting to see. You're mm-hmm. right. It will be interesting to see what, uh, what if, if any effect it has. Yeah, I enjoy I enjoy this this filmmaker and I uh, and I really look forward to her tech based docs. I just this one I don't think hit me as hard as uh, as coded bias. And it, it could also be because I'm not I'm not on TikTok, so that's <laughs> maybe I have a distance to it. That's uh, you know I'm not part of that that generation. Um, but I'm going to quickly pivot to the the narrative space. I know we we've been talking about some docs to start off, and we will definitely jump back to that. But speaking of that younger generation um i think you saw emergency as as well as myself i did i did yeah and that one is a really fascinating film by director carrie williams that i guess he adapted um an earlier short and it's off of a rather ingenious premise these young men are about to graduate from college they're two months away and they're decided they're going to do the legendary tour which is this night of getting into seven exclusive frat parties all across campus. And before they leave for the party, they come home to find that there is a girl passed out on their, their floor. They don't know where she's from. Their roommate's been playing video games and smoking pot. He has no idea. They don't know what to do now. Your your gut reaction is, well, you should call the cops. And that's what one of them initially thinks. But then they realize that they're a household where it's, two young black men and a young Latino man. The house smells like weed because they've been prepping for, for the party and it's not going to look good because you have a passed out white girl on the floor. And from there, you have a series of increasingly bad decisions as they finally decide to try and take this young woman to the hospital. But knowing that because they're on a campus that is predominantly white, they have to be very careful of how they get her to the hospital because things, perceptions are all, are all around. And from there, it, it really turns into an interesting, dark comedy, um, fascinating social comedy commentary that I, I was completely captivated with. I, it was entertaining, but also really suspenseful in ways that you yes, probably yes. don't initially suspect. Yes, I mean, just <clears throat> what you said, um, the word perceptions, because that's what the film is playing on, is playing on. We know, we know whether no matter if you're black or white or, you know, you know, this scenario 
and you know exactly why they're hesitating because it looks bad. And this like this series of events, bad decisions, bad luck, but you know, and, and most of it is, is just based on the fact that it's going to be perceived badly. They're not bad people. They didn't touch her. They didn't do anything. They're trying to help her. But the entire thing is based on, and we know that that's what it's playing off of. And that's where all the suspense comes from because as things just get crazier and crazier, you're like, Oh no, how the hell are they going to get out of this? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and not get shot by the cops. And that's the terrifying thing about this film is that, yeah, that we all know that, that we all, that that's how society has become, has been. And these are the terrible stories that we hear when somebody has not done anything wrong. Yep. And yeah. And they, you know, there's a tail light problem they they end up encountering. And then it's like, yes. The damn taillight is going to cause probably a problem if a cop sees you, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because a lot of, yeah, I'm sorry, but I was just like, absolutely spellbound by this film. It's like, what the hell? But also the feeling it's like you, you like these, these are likable people. Yes. Yeah. You know? And it's like, Oh no, like I, the sympathy, the empathy, the, you know, that you feel it's like, it, you know, it's like someone, you know, like after a while, you're like, you know, these guys, it's like, they're nice guys. Mm-hmm. And that was the point I was just about to raise. They, it's interesting that, you know, even though they are really nice guys, you know, one of them is like a straight A student. They're, they're all destined for great things. They got, careers in mind and what have you but they don't even leave their house with this girl until they change their clothes you know they they can't look like regular college students or regular college students getting going out for a night of party they have to dress in like you know kind of teachery very preppy type clothing like they have to be coated in white clothes every step every and then a lot of their fears in some form or another do come to light and you can even see as they're moving throughout the community how a lot of their fears are being validated by their perceptions yes. and depending on what era you're in they might get accused of doing something they're not or if they're in another area just the fact that they brought a past a white girl or a drunk white girl to this area causes a huge problem for the people in that area so it's just yeah they're like this, i don't want to get caught up in this you yeah it's, a, it's a snowball effect and it's it's just a really fascinating confident debut and it's it's funny but it is tense and i it's such yeah. an interesting way to do that type of social commentary and still yes. keep everyone um hooked so yes. uh, definitely yeah, recommend it, that it one really sends a really strong like message you know uh, mm-hmm. and really uh, makes you think you know while while it's creating this this uh this experience this entertainment experience is like really hits home yes and uh, another one i'll just keep with the the social commentary for one more second is um a film called nanny and um, it was done by. I also, yeah, I also uh, saw. Sorry. Oh, you saw that? Well, great. Yeah. Um, uh, Nikiatu um, Jusu. And again, my apologies. My apologies if I'm butchering the name of these wonderful artists, but it's a, uh, a great little film about a nanny from Senegal who ends up in New York City. Um, or sorry, a woman from Senegal who ends up in New York City who ends up working as a nanny for this this affluent couple and she's trying to save enough money so that she can bring her son over to america and it's a really interesting look at the immigrant experience um the the way that servitude is put through the ringer for a lot of these people like you know a job is not a job she's not just looking after this child's um kids she's dealing with all the other stuff that this family's going through you know and she's often 
the the whipping board, the sounding board, the the source of you know compassion. Like you know, they try to extract more out of her than she's extracting from them. And through all of this, there's a bit of a horror element to it. Um, and I won't go into yeah. supernatural, supernatural element. Yeah. And I won't go into it because it's not really a straightforward horror film. I think the social commentary itself is far more scary than the creepy things that happen in this film. So but the creepy things that happen, though, oh, sorry to interrupt you. But the no, no, go ahead. That, that supernatural element added a different layer. Um, to mm. the experience because it's it, it, things are happening on a metaphorical level um, that are it, it's um, it's illustrating it's underscoring her own inner turmoil because I mean she when these people are like constantly you know like oh listen to me oh I've got a problem with all that it's like they're trying to like they're they're forgetting that she's a human being right who has her own problems and she like, she didn't sign up for this she signed up to look after the child get money go home right and then you know facetime with her son and uh and they're intruding on all of this and so that the supernatural starts to like give us a sense of what's happening within her mm-hmm. and yeah, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to ruin it. And in terms of horror, like I've, you know, everyone, if you know, if you listen to this, you might know, you might remember that I'm like a big wimp. But this, this was so creatively, like fascinatingly done. It's like it's, it's such an incredible film, mm-hmm. you know, and it, yeah. and it's such an incredible experience. And you know, I saw things. I, you know, I didn't read what anybody else said, but I saw these like little references to like, oh, this might be like a get out, you know, a woman's version of a get out. And it's like, and I thought, I don't know, like I didn't read what they said uh, because I, I don't want to like go there. But also having watched the film, it's like, no, you know what? They're two different films. Yes, and yep. just because they're both horror based in some way, you can't do that. Like, it just, it lessens, like, the, like, they're individual films, individual filmmakers, you know, with, like, talking about separate things. Um, there is, yeah, there's an overriding thing about, you know, how white people treat black people. That's, that's it. But the, the details are, you know, like, much more, much more telling than that you know when it, when each film gets into its own details and so nanny deserves not to be like not to be lumped in with something else it's like nanny is a brilliant film all on its own yes i i completely agree with that i would say if anything because we, we're seeing now anytime there's a, a horror film that deals with race it always kind of gets that get out comparison i would say if if any of the films at least that i've seen at sundance um, master i think is probably closest to get out but even then it's still like miles away but just by that generalized definition in terms of subject matter and how it's i was thinking master's probably the closest but nanny is as you said completely different i think it works wonderfully i'm not sure the ending worked for me um yes, I, yes. I found I, it like, i it thought just, it, it was so it, good it and then quickly. Something yeah. happens at the end that's very quick. It's like, ah, oh, you just you had that A plus, but now you're just a solid A. <laughs> but uh um, yes, exactly. Still, very, yeah. very good film. Highly recommend that. Um, there's one film that I think you saw that I was interested in hearing about. Um, All That Breathes. Do you wanna just talk All a little bit about breathes. that? Yeah. <clears throat> All That Breathes is one of those impressionistic documentaries. It's absolutely gorgeous and it's um if it hits you like really hard, um, not not in the not in the sense that like you're you're devastated. It just hits you really hard because there's so many layers that it's operating on, and it just you know with this impressionistic camera work and this sort of lyrical style, it follows these two brothers, Saud and Nadim, and they in uh, in India, you know it's it's. Um, it's sort of traditional to there's these birds called black kites 
and it's traditional to feed the, the black kites. They are a carnivorous bird. So you feed them meat. I mean, it's said that, you know, if you, if you feed them meat, it brings you good luck, right? Because they take away all the bad um, when they come down and eat the food or when you throw it up to them. And, and, but what, and the focus of the film, it's, it's actually really interesting. Um, the way that it focuses, even its camera, the camera is always moving and it has this tendency, especially like at the beginning, this, this is very telling. It, um, it starts on the ground. The camera is looking at the activity on the ground and then it pans up. And that you realize as the film goes on, that is like, sorry, I keep using the metaphor, the word metaphor, but it's like, that's the metaphor for what the film is in a greater sense about because it, the brothers, um, they start, you know, they have been taking care of black kites because black kites get, I mean, all birds get injured, but it, they, there's been this tendency for the kites to get injured and they find them or people now know to, if they find a bird to bring it to them. And they have created this sort of sanctuary. And at the beginning, you know, they're struggling financially because it's, it's taking its toll and there's more birds. And the reason there's more birds and the reason the film works so profoundly um, with its scope being, you know, up and down and all everything around us is that they, the brothers know that it's because of um, the increased pollution that's like actually caused, you know, besides the regular accidents that might happen now, there's like a much greater amount of birds that are falling, falling out of the sky. It's like, it's like a, a literal, like end of the world kind of scenario. And these brothers are not just frustrated by their circumstances in terms of their poverty, but they're frustrated because they, you know, to them, it's like, look, look, what, look at what's happening. This is like, nature is telling us there's a huge problem. And to them, their worldview is everything is connected, right? And so, you know, humans do not exist on their own in a bubble. They're not like the greatest of creatures. They are part of a whole system. Um, and if what they're doing is causing damage, you know, to other creatures, this is, you know, something that humans need to, you know, it's like circular. It's like, you know, it the humans affect the birds and the birds are, you know, telling the humans that there's a problem. Um, there's, there's much more there, you know, and it, the film gets very close to them and you see their relationship um, and their own personal struggles, like beyond the, the financial, there's, you know, they're working together. There's like tensions that yeah. arrive and other things, but um, there's a, a lot of focus after a while. There's a lot of focus on the birds um and so you get some like really in-depth you, you just like fall into this world not fall in but you like you get you get like pleasantly drawn in even though it's not a pleasant subject like i said it's um it's a it's a rallying cry in its own way and that is funny because that i you know it just occurred to me i said cry it's it's, it's a rallying cry but it's like a more gently like come on guys we gotta yeah. do something you know, it's not, it's not in your face. The film is not in your face, but in its own subtle way, it is. Mm -hmm. If that makes any sense. It'll make sense when somebody picks this film up and it gets released, which I hope. And, you know, it, this is one of those documentaries where, you know, you sort of live with the subject for a while and then amazing things happen. Oh, amazing relationships, you know. Yeah, do you want to, do you want to talk briefly about, um, was it we met in virtual reality? Yeah, this is another documentary. I mean, the idea is great. It's not as satisfying because, um, okay, we met in virtual reality. The filmmaker, um, he, his first film, he shot, uh, he shot it. I'm not sure how you shoot, but he shot it in a VR chat room. And so there's this particular room where people go and socialize and you like, that's, that's your regular 
place to go hang out and hang out with certain people. Like, you know, the people that are going to be there, you know, maybe new people join, but, you know, it's like this regular hangout. And so he shot it over two years. And what you see on screen is the inside of this VR chat, right? So it's it's not... Uh, it's it's a documentary, but it, it's not a live action looking documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, for people who don't know VR chat rooms, it looks like animation. Um, and the only thing that I found unsatisfactory, like he follows these people, and he, you know, it's it's like it's like all that breeze in the sense that he has spent some time with these certain individuals and they're comfortable telling their stories and talking. And it's very poignant when people talk about, you know, socializing in this space or, you know, one particular case, he was, one man was very uncomfortable. So he was on mute. He would go there all the time, but he never interacted. And then after a while uh, he got comfortable and started interacting. So the stories are very interesting, but, um, I found that I, I wasn't fully satisfied with the experience because having experienced VR, if you know VR, you want to be in the space. You don't want to be looking at it in two dimensions. And if you don't know VR, then you are looking at something that looks like a wild um, animated piece, like a possible anime type, you know? Mm-hmm. So... I like the idea. I like the a lot of things about the way it was done and you know what the the end result was. But there's this like, hmm, you know, not quite, not quite. I wish I kept wishing that I just had a VR set on and I was in it experiencing this exact, you know, it would have been different. Interesting. So I'm, you know, it, it has a very interesting comment about VR. Which I think you know people should should talk about, and I and a lot of people are talking about. I mean, Sundance is a place where people have always talked about VR, but now people are talking about it in a different way because of this film. So, we'll see what happens with this one. Interesting. I'm going to um, talk about another doc that I saw, one called Miha, M I J A, and it's from Isabel Castro, and it's a really fascinating documentary about these two young women who are essentially um, the first members of their family to be born in America. So they're born to their parents are undocumented and the struggles that, that come with that. And what makes this story really fascinating is it follows um, one woman, uh, Doris Menounos, who's, basically becomes a music manager. Um, she's always loved music and she one day discovers this young man um, who I guess if you're keen on that particular brand of music, it's Kuko and she becomes Kuko's manager and they blow up. They, they're touring the world. They're, you know, she's kind of living the American dream and she's also get, managed to save up enough money now that she can start the um, documentation process for her parents in hopes of them getting a green card. So the film kind of follows her during that. She's already had one brother who was deported. So there's a lot of guilt in the family. The parents haven't seen him for, I guess it goes on like six years or so because he's back in Tijuana and they can't go visit him because they don't have green cards. So they wouldn't be able to get back in the country. And there's all this weight on her shoulders and just as you know, things are looking up, the pandemic hits and her and her client, Kuko, decide to part ways. So now she's essentially starting from scratch again. And she finds this woman in Texas, a young woman by the name of um, Jax Haupit, who uh, I think that's how you pronounce her name. But she is in her 20, early 20s. I think she hasn't even turned 21 yet. And... Doris sees in her the same thing that she saw in Kuko, uh, a, a talent who sings and speaks to the, the experiences of, of her people and those who are having to deal with 
you know, wanting to pursue your your dreams, but also having to deal with immigrant parents and who can't see your artistic um, aspirations as value, especially when your parents are undocumented and they're like, you need to get a stable job and career. So the film is kind of split between those two women and how they come together and also just the, the plight that they're going through. And it's one of those films that is really a heartwarming feel good movie. And I don't mean that in the, the sappy kind of way it's, you know, you're watching these two women, you're like, Oh, this is very interesting. You're really seeing the undocumented process and the struggles. And then the final 20 minutes hits you like an emotional brick, you know, and you're, you just, even though you're, you're hoping things will work out. You're not sure, but the 20, the final 20 minutes hit and you might need a Kleenex here. You know, the, the <laughs> eyes, the eyes might get a little misty. I mean, it, I, I think it was a lot of dust in the room when I was watching. That's probably, it was just a dust, but <laughs> That's it, right. Courtney never cries. Courtney never, never cries. Never. But it, it was <laughs> it one of those where he doesn't cry. Yeah. Where you're just like, man, I, I like, we need to change the, the process. You know, America needs to get their, their act together with these undocumented um, people. Like, you know, there, there's so much value that they are bringing to society and you just see the, the struggles and everything that comes through. And I'm not going to spoil anything that happens, but I will just say that it is wonderful um, and it is one of those feel-good movies that you may need a little Kleenex in at the, at the end. Oh, wow. That sounds and, amazing. Yes. And that's, that's all I can, can say, but that was um, Miha. And I, I will flip the script slightly because in that case, that's a, a film about, you know, people trying to help their families out. And I'm going to talk about a, high-profile, dramatic work where family is not quite cohesive. Um, and it is When You Finish Saving the World. It is the directorial debut from actor-writer Jesse Eisenberg. And it's this is an adaptation of an audio original that he had created. And it follows a mother and son, played by Julianne Moore and Finn Wolfhard, who um, you might know from Stranger Things. I believe he's in the new Ghostbuster movies. But they're two individuals that view their lives with a certain level of importance that the other doesn't seem to acknowledge. So for Julianne Moore, her character started up this shelter for abused women. So that is where her headspace is at. And her son makes music online. He, he plays, he streams his, his songs that are a little vapid, but to his fan base, all over the world. And he's always telling everyone that he's got, you know, 20,000 followers and he makes money off of it, what have you, but they don't really connect um, as a whole. And instead of like working on their relationship, they end up seeking, um, I guess, I don't want to say gratification, but um, validation from, from others. For, for him, there's this girl at school that he likes and she's really into politics. So he decides he's going to try and be into politics, even though he doesn't even know what independence day means, you know, for America, like he's completely just self-absorbed. And for his mother, she encounters a mother and son that recently come to her shelter. And the son is very loving. You know, he's got a head on his shoulders, even though they've, the family's been through hardship He's, you know, doing well at school, what have you. And she decides to make it her mission to get this young man into college, ignoring whether or not he actually really wants to go to college because he also has aspirations of being a mechanic. So it's like she's found this surrogate son. He is putting all of his faith into this young woman that he's attracted to. And of course, because they are so self-centered and they live a very posh um liberal life they don't really see the world as it is they see it via their own little bubble or what they read in the new york times and it just it it, it goes from there these are two very unlikable characters but the performances make you want to follow them the entire way through and it's for a directorial debut i think jesse eisenberg does a really solid job with it. it's the type of film you would expect jesse eisenberg to make if you've seen a lot of his other other roles and stuff. It, it, it fits perfectly in that wheelhouse and it's anchored really by the performances. Fantastic. That sounds yeah. interesting. So well, I think we'll that, see that one. It'll be released. Oh yeah, that will, 
that will definitely be released with the, the star power. Uh, do you want to end off? I know you you have two more. Do you want to talk about Exiles? Yeah, Exiles. Um, Exiles involves a film that, uh, um, sorry, a filmmaker that some people would know. Um, the filmmaker of Who Killed Vincent Chin. Uh, it was a documentary that was nominated for an, an Academy Award. And Christine Choi, so she's, you know, she went on to, to make other films in America, um, you know, about um, social issues, right? And um, so she's a documentarian, a cinematographer. Uh, she teaches at NYU. And, I mean, she's such a New Yorker. She, she immigrated here when she was 14. She's a, a Chinese-Korean. She's of that mixed descent. Uh, and the family immigrated here in uh, here. I'm not in New York City. I just wish I was. They immigrated to New York City in uh, when she was 14. And so she, what the? Okay, so this film is a little complicated. So you know, she she's got a reputation. Uh, according to what we see in the film, her students love her. This is a, a debut feature by two of her students. Uh, former students um, and so the film is sort of a mixed focus and I'm just gonna warn you right now that I found that a little problematic she's a character she's a she's like a, a another friend Leibowitz but with a fouler mouth like this woman is brash and like you know you, you could watch her, right? You could just watch her. And that, that's what we do at the beginning to establish who she is. And, you know, that, that was necessary um, in order to announce or introduce the fact that through her, through her work, there was a point in time when the Tiananmen Square massacre happened that she was doing a lot of filming. Um, you know, she was asked to um, film press conferences because what happened was there were three particular men that she's focusing on. They, when they escaped uh, China after the government clamped down on the protests in Tiananmen Square and they came to America and there were press conferences because a lot of, you know, everybody wanted to talk to them and find out what the hell happened, right? And so she, she had this access to the press conferences, but she also got access to the men because after the press conferences, you know, they, someone made the wise decision that these guys must be tired, like emotionally, like just like in whole bunches of ways tired and they need a rest. So they were whisked off to this, uh, just like resort type thing around Long Island. She went. So she got this like personal footage of them. And then, you know, the film in a way is chronological during this part. And in a way, she then announces, but I ran out of money, so I stopped. I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know what to do with all this footage. Um, and so then part of the film is um, the fact that that was 30 years ago, over 30 years ago. And about 30 years later, in order to to make this film that we're, we're watching. Um, she goes and finds the men who have now, they're now in different places. One lives in Paris and, you know, and she shows them the footage. And so you see like this reflection that happens, mm -hmm. you know? And so this part's really interesting. The problem I had was that she's interesting. That, that story of, the, the original footage she had and the fact that the Chinese government is like, you know, saying what massacre, what, what Tiananmen Square, like nothing happened. And everybody in China is like, what happened? I don't know. Not, nothing happened. Right. So there's a, that, that whole thing. And then there's her because it keeps going back to, to her story. In some ways that would work, but it's just, she's just too overwhelming as a personality to allow the subtlety of 
that whole because you know it it really starts to talk about you know the concept of democracy and, and like other stuff that I won't tell you but really important stuff when it comes to democracy and um and how China got away with this basically right and the effect the effect that this kind of has on the people that sort of risked their lives and could never go back to China again you know their reflections on that decision that they made when they were young people um so yeah in the end like when the final credits came up I was like yeah this this is two different movies mm -hmm. this this is you know it could have been like you needed the context of her and who she was um, because she's so instrumental in making this happen, these connections with uh, the men and then and now. And, but, um, and I'm not, you know, I'm not criticizing her for being her. I'm just saying that, you know, maybe filmmakers that are just young and also starstruck by their professor maybe that's kind of not the best combination to, okay. uh, but I, like, I hope people will see it because the connections that it makes um, are really, really important. And, you know, there's, there's a lesson for people in the West here, you know, about how they view China and how they view their own government. Oh, and do you want to end off since we're talking about, um, larger than life personalities you want to end off talking about lucy and desi yeah <laughs> the ironic thing was they didn't come off as as larger than life i oh, really okay. wanted i really i like amy poehler i like comedians basically if you make me laugh i like you right so um i like amy poehler people will know like she uh we first saw her i guess on saturday night live that's the first place i saw her and then she's done you know a comedy show um and uh, she's been in movies and, you know, like she hosts the Oscars with Tina Fey. Like she's a kind of a beloved person. And uh, I was rooting for her and her direct directorial debut. I thought her tackling Lucy, Lucy, Lucille Ball from I Love Lucy and like all those great shows she made. This, you know, this is a match made in heaven. Maybe I had too many expectations on it. Uh, so the film is called Lucy and Desi. And uh, it, so what she does is she takes, there's, there are personal um, tapes. There are cassette tapes and home movies and stuff that uh, Lucy and Desi's daughter, also named Lucy. So I'll just call her daughter. <laughs> so the daughter provided Polar with all of this. And, you know, Polar uses these to great effect, mixing in with archival footage and and what you have is uh for the most part you have lucy and desi telling their own story you know from these and different interviews that they had with different people like more public interviews and stuff um the thing is it it doesn't really get down and deep i thought that there would be more insight especially because being the Ricardos, being, you know, the fiction film that was just released and that we, some of us who watched it were sort of disappointed in as an experience of these two people and that this would be more in depth. This, you know, the daughters involved, this, this more personal private materials involved, but the, the main, main problem, I mean, and like, it's a great, it's a great thing to revisit. Right. If you want to revisit Lucy and Desi, this is like full of like amazing moments and and details from their lives. But we know them. Right. So what I felt was it could have gotten deeper into what what made Lucy so great, um, their dynamic as a couple, because. You know, eventually they, we know that eventually they divorced. And so that, you know, what was that? The, the, the fiction film being the Ricardo's hints at his um, cheating on her and, you know, and her trying to keep the family together. So there's, there's a lot of things that, that this could have done. Um, and here's my, here's my theory as to why it, it didn't really work for me. It's chronological. 
when you do chronological only, you cannot make, cause you're, you're stuck. You're stuck with now I got to go to the next thing. You can't stop, you know, like I'll, I'll bring it back to, we need to talk about Cosby. The, the brilliant thing that Bell was able to do was free himself from the chronology. He gave you chronology, but then he gave you insight. He gave you, you know, actual victims and he gave you experts and, you know, he gave you all of that so that it became the series becomes a larger statement about a number of things, right? Um, as well as being able to mine the depths of the impact of Cosby, the good impact and the bad impact, right? And as you said, when we were talking about that film, you know, it leaves you with all this, like it gives you all of this and says, okay, you decide, right? This film, um, it just tells you, you know, in a, in a way. And it was also very weird that the daughter, you know, they keep going back to the daughter and um, being the daughter, you know, she can only give so much insight. Although she keeps trying to tell you, like he thought this and she felt that. It's like, you're sort of like, hmm, how do you know? Like, and also then you start to, the, the only interesting thing that really started happening was you started to hear some resentment towards Lucy um, from her daughter, Lucy. And it's like, hmm, that came out a little bit, but uh, it's not going to go, we're not going anywhere with it. So like things like that, you know, like things that comes out, uh, things it touches on and things that come out that the film can't stop and really mine the depths of. And, um, and in the end, you know, I, I thought of this sort of part, this scene from being the Ricardos. And I thought, in a way, Lucy and Desi doesn't really show the genius of Lucy, but it does show her genius, but it doesn't really show as much about her personality as one scene in Lucy, um, sorry, one scene in the, in, Ricardos. in the being the Ricardos, which was when Lucy insists that everybody stop, like the writers, the producer, the director, everybody stop because she has to figure out this scene. They don't know how to stage it. And that, that showed more about the strength of character, the fierceness, the struggles she had as a woman than anything in that the documentary called Lucy and Desi really puts forward. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I was too harsh there. No, no, it's it's going to be interesting to, um, it, to view that in comparison, it. especially because we we know with Amy Poehler's name attached that that film will definitely see yeah, the light of it's day. Actually, it's going to be on Prime. It's going to oh, be on Prime. Okay. So check it's um, check when it's. I think it's going to be on Prime in February, and uh, you know, for my misgivings that that doesn't mean it's not a worthwhile watch. It's just mm-hmm. that it's. Like, it's not like, the brilliant thing. You know, maybe watching the Cosby, Kumail Bell's Cosby doc sort of like skewed my my expectations uh, a bit because he did so much with, you know, something that I knew was going to end up on television. And that, I know it sounds awful of me to say <laughs> television as if it's like a lesser thing than a theatrical doc- documentary. It's not. Um no, no, he just he just captured something better. And that's I mean, that's the thing with Sundance. Like we've with all the films that we've seen, there are things that you love, some things that you're ah, so so on. There was nothing here that we we absolutely despise. It was just there was a few no, things where no, we just well, had some yeah. quibbles with. And you know, this is only a small portion of the things that we we've seen. Like, you know, the next episode we will continue with with Sundance and there's, there's been a this. lot of a lot of stuff to talk about a lot of stuff yeah and and the, the conversation will continue be, it's great to talk about it to talk mm-hmm. about what works what doesn't work why you know and then it, it leads to greater conversations about what works in documentary or what works in in fiction and point of view and you know this all that stuff and um so there's a lot of like it's strong it's a, just a lot of strong work yeah, and definitely have uh, more films to, to discuss in the, the next episode as we, we wrap up this definitely. wonderful festival. 
Okay, so that's it for Frameline for this week. Thanks, everybody, for listening.